Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're here. And welcome to those of you joining us online as well this morning. And now hear the word of the Lord. Hear these words from Psalm 72. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Feel free to stand and sing. You are good, you are good when 
good to be here with you guys this morning. I don't get to be here very often, so in case you're not sure who I am, my name is Dee Stahl, and I am the Congregational Care uh, Coordinator here at Heart of Wyke. So um, I have just a couple announcements this morning. If you have kiddos waiting to go downstairs for uh, Sunday school through preschool, I believe, you can meet April over by the door over here. And then also, um, this morning we made the decision to have fellowship out here under the carport area so you can be in the shade because it's so warm. So after the service um, for fellowship time, meet out, out here on this side of the building rather than where you've been. And um, with that, let me get my Bible open here and we'll pray together, okay? Let's pray. Hear these words from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. 
Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. His, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father God, this morning we lift your name and we praise you. You made, made the earth where we stand, the air that we breathe and the beauty in the sky that we stand beneath. We just need to look out the windows to see that truth this morning. Your creation is vast and wide, sometimes beyond our understanding or comprehension, and we know it was created by you to be our refuge. You chase after us. You know each of us by name, each and every one of us, and you pour out your grace and your redeeming love to each of us. Father, we thank you for this grace, grace that flows endlessly to each of us each day. And Lord, we celebrate your love this morning. Thank you that you cover and embrace a fallen world, Lord. In these times of great uncertainty, we rely even more fully on your grace. We acknowledge the sinfulness that we as a people are prone to, the hatefulness surrounding us that permeates our lives and our culture. Our nations are in uproar, Father. And even so, your word reminds us that the Lord Almighty is with us. You remain the God who loves us. You mourn the fallen world, but you love us anyway. This morning, Lord, we lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross. We know that you will pray for us when we don't know how to or don't have the words to pray ourselves. This morning, we think of Keith and Mary Louise and their extended family who lost Josh this past week in a tragic accident. Father, he was a son, a brother, a husband of Amy, a dad, an uncle, and your beloved child. Lord, we ask why. Why, God? And we rem remember Kendra, the niece and granddaughter of other Heart Awake members, who lost her husband, Evan, after a very brief illness. Lord, there's a teeny unborn baby girl who will not know her daddy. And again, we ask why. We ask questions, and there seem to be no answers. And Father, we experience grief, and there seems to be no consolation. Yet somehow we know that in time and in your care, our broken hearts will gently mend. And Father, we need one another to walk through these journeys, whatever those may be, together, not alone. Lord, across this campus of Heart Awake Ministries, the people of Celebration, Infusion, and Watershed, and also in our greater community of Holland and beyond, we experience fullness of life together that comes only through you. We pray that together we can be a light that shines in a way that is glorifying to you, that we can help bring refreshment and rest to those who are weary, and we know that only through you can we do this, Lord. This morning, I pray that each of us have ears to hear, 
eyes to see, to see and open hearts to receive the message that you have prepared for us this morning. And Father, I ask that you bless Pastor JB this morning as he delivers that message to us. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you, Dee. And uh, good morning, Fusion family. Good morning, good morning. It is good to be together. And uh, as always, uh, my name is Pastor JB. And uh, if we haven't had a chance to to meet yet, I'd love that opportunity. I got to tell you, I've just so enjoyed uh, getting to know the members of Fusion outside of this space. And uh, so if we can find a way to do that, I would love that opportunity. If you're a visitor, a guest with us this morning, uh, just welcome. And I pray that you would experience God's loving embrace through this community as well. Uh, We are continuing uh, our series of messages through the New Testament book of Acts. We're We're kind of nearing the end, if you can believe it. It's a series, as you can see on the screen, we've been calling Devoted. And the reason why we've called it Devoted is because it takes a lot of devotion to get through a 23-week series. Amen? That's not exactly why we called it devoted, but uh, but it's, I, and, and on a serious note, I hope you've enjoyed it because there's something about going through an entire book of the Bible, the size of Acts, uh, even in large chunks, to kind of get a, a, an idea and a vision for God's work through the early church. I know I've enjoyed it. Last week we we spoke about what compelled, if you remember, what compelled Paul to return to Jerusalem, even though he knew what was a, what was ahead of him, that there was hardship and trials. Uh, we were reminded that he was compelled by the Spirit. And what was the reason? He was compelled but for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of this early church movement. In Jerusalem, just to kind of recap what we didn't read last week, in Jerusalem there's a mob that forms. And, and Paul is arrested and, and he's about to be beaten by a Roman commander when he tells the commander that he is a Roman citizen. And this is a huge problem because under Roman law, Paul as a Roman citizen should not be in that spot. He should not be arrested. He should not be uh, about to be beaten. And so this commander has a predicament, and uh, he's in trouble if if anyone finds out. And so now that kind of leads us into chapter 23, where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to pick up at verse 30 um, as the commander wants to figure out what's going on. And, And as we read God's word, as we do every week, if you're willing and able, I'd invite you to stand as we honor God as he speaks to us. This morning, we're actually going to start one verse earlier, chapter 22, verse 30. If you're following along in your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen. We'll read through chapter 23, verse 11. And this morning, our hope is uh, we we looked at what compelled Paul. Uh, Today, we want to look at how Paul conducts himself and why that matters. Why it matters how we live. Acts chapter 22, starting verse 30. The word of the Lord. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all of the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. The Sanhedrin are the Jewish leaders uh, who reside in Jerusalem. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Chapter 23. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, 
God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now Paul, or Luke gives a little background. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him back into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You pray with me. Father, we, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, God, for how your spirit works, how your spirit worked to put these words to the page. And we thank you for how your spirit works to, to imprint and to bring these words into our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak truth and grace into our hearts so that we might be changed more and more into the likeness of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. God's people say, amen. You know, throughout this series, uh, one of the, the ongoing themes in the book of Acts is uh, members of the early church, this Jesus movement, testifying uh, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, another way of saying that is people sharing their faith in Jesus. Which brings a question kind of in our modern day, uh, have you ever come across examples uh, of people sharing their faith, but it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? Someone sharing their faith, and maybe there's good intentions, but maybe their strategy's a little off. Maybe their execution's a little, maybe their demeanor is a little off-putting. I think we've all kind of experienced or seen maybe from a distance a, a bad example of what we call evangelism, right? Sharing the good news. Now, I recently heard a, a, a kind of a funny story 
uh, of one of these examples, Evangelism Gone Wrong, uh, from a pastor who currently serves a church in Southern California by the name of Gare Jones, a vintage church. Anyway, he was sharing an, an experience that he had as a, a young man uh, doing some street evangelism out in the UK. Uh, he's from the United Kingdom. They're in, they were in Glasgow, Scotland, uh, a pretty secular city even at that time. And the strategy was, was this, this group of young people, uh, they were going to gather with a worship band and they were going to just start singing praises to the Lord in the middle of this secular city of Glasgow. And the expectation was that, that when they did this, certainly a crowd of people would form uh, because they'd be so impressed by what was going on at this worship service. And then once this crowd formed, it was Gare's job to stand up in front of this group of people and share the gospel. Now, Pastor Gare shares that he's thinking to himself, oh boy, this is not going to work, <laughs> right? This is not going to work. Uh, but anyway, they, they do. They gather, they start singing, and, and, and to Gare's expectation, no one stops. Everyone just keeps walking by. There is no crowd, absolutely. And he shares that he was kind of relieved that he didn't have to stand up in front of these people that didn't show up. Well, one of the other members of the group, his name was Barry. And Barry got this great idea. Uh, Gary didn't know what was going on, but he looks over and this guy, Barry, goes over to a trash bin and he finds a trash bag in the trash bin. He ties it closed and then picks the trash bag out of the trash bin and he just starts throwing the trash bag as high as he can in the air. Throws it in the air, catches it. And he just keeps doing this, throwing this trash bag in the air until it falls and he catches it. And he keeps doing this, and you can imagine, people are like, what's that all about? Well, Barry actually gathers a crowd of people because they're wondering, what is this strange man doing tossing a bag of trash in the air? Well, finally, Barry's been at it for a while, and there's a large group of people who have gathered, curious about this strange man throwing a trash bag in the air. And finally, he throws it one last time high in the air, and once he catches it, he yells out, Now, Gare! Preach the Jesus, preach Jesus to these people. And Gary, this guy, Gareth, stands up horrified. And everyone, he starts preaching, and you can imagine people run away as fast as they gathered. And it didn't work. It's kind of a funny example. You see, no matter our intentions, good intentions, how we go about things matters. How we go about preaching the gospel matters. And that applies well beyond strategies. How do we live our lives in this world matters. And this was certainly true of Paul. Beyond strategies, Paul carried himself in a certain way and it mattered. He speaks to this in our passage this morning, uh, verse 1 of chapter 23. He, he uses a word conscious, right? His, his conscience. He speaks of his own conscience. Paul's clear conscience Chapter 23, verse 1, Paul's opening words to the Sanhedrin. What does he say? He says, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. If you were to, to jump ahead to the following chapter, he's before Governor Felix. He uses the same word. Chapter 24, verse 16, it's on the screen. I strive always, he says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and God men. 
the Greek word here for conscience, I'm not going to make you repeat this word, but just know this. It's a word that literally means no together with. Uh, no together with. It implies the knowing of both moral and spiritual consciousnesses. See, Paul is speaking to his belief and desire to live. If you think about this, your spiritual, your moral compass coming together, a man of integrity would be the word we would use today. And for Paul, what we read here in these two chapters is that for Paul, integrity matters and maintaining integrity matters. As Paul stands before his accusers, he wants them to know the first thing he says to the Sanhedrin is that his conscience is clear before God and before man regarding how he has conducted himself and gone about his duty. He is declaring before them that he has lived with integrity. You can imagine that is important when you are standing on trial and your life depends on it. There is a difference when you are on trial and you are innocent versus standing on trial knowing that you are guilty, right? We see this with our kids. Man, I, I, could, I see this with my dog, right? When my dog misbehaves, he knows if he's done something wrong. I say, striker, and what does he do? You know, he's like, he kind of just walks away. He knows if he's done something wrong. Or my kids, right? They know if they're innocent or if they're guilty. And we can see it for Paul. This was so important. Now, we're going to talk about why that was important in just a little bit. But first, what I want to do is explore this idea of integrity. Let's dig a little deeper. What is integrity? And how does Paul specifically live with integrity in our text? Paul's integrity before the Sanhedrin. First, I want to consider the idea of integrity. Beginning with Paul's own words on the screen. It's actually 2 Corinthians. That's, a, that's my mistake. Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 Paul reiterates the same point, talking about the importance of integrity. He says, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity. It's a word that also means, could be translated holiness, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Now there's a there's a lot of truth in that statement alone. But the point is that for Paul, integrity was incredibly important. Integrity, which a way to understand this, is to live with character. Think of the English word integrity. Another word that shares the same root would be uh, integrate, right? What does the word integrate mean? It means to integrate, two things coming together to be one. And so this idea of integrity is that, that I am the same person yesterday and today. Character, we're talking about character. My character remains the same on Sundays as throughout the week. My character is integrated, what I think, my thought life, and how I live. That's how we understand integrity. That's what integrity means. It's all about character. And Paul lives with integrity. And what I want to do is just look at these like five, ten, ten verses that we just read, this account that we just read, and how does Paul live out integrity? Of course, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's just helpful to just dwell in this text a little bit. The first thing we learn about integrity Paul lives in integrity. And how does he live with integrity? Humility. That's the first thing we learn from Paul. Integrity requires, actually, humility. 
If we're going to live with integrity in this world, it requires that we have a humble spirit. Uh, Real quick, just recapping what we just read. Immediately after Paul makes this bold statement about having a conscience that is good, what happens? The high priest commands those standing next to Paul to strike him across the face. I don't know about you, but you're talking about something that's going to test my character, test my integrity. I think that would test my integrity to be struck across the mouth. And then Paul responds like many of us would. Uh, we, we kind of imagine his, his demeanor, his tone. We can maybe imagine some angry, anger, right? And he responds with some pretty harsh words, words that resemble Jesus' words. You whitewashed tomb, right? But then he finds out that he's, he, he was addressing, he was speaking this way to the high priest, and he's corrected and he, he realizes that he's offended the office of the, priest, the priesthood, right? And what does he do? He backtracks. He apologizes. What does apologizing require? Humility. A great deal of humility. From anger to humility. It's such a curious episode that, that Luke includes in this account that Paul stops and he apologizes. But here's the important truth that, that, that applies to today. Lesson one about integrity. People of integrity are not those who never make mistakes. Integrity is not about living perfectly or righteously, but living with integrity is, is those who can own it when they do make mistakes. And what does it mean to own it? You, you apologize or you even change your mind. If you've gone off, uh, the, if you've gone the wrong direction, that's the first lesson. People of integrity are those who, are not those who never make mistakes, but those who can own it when they do and apologize or change their mind. See, too often we expect people in our world to, to be perfect. We expect people to, to never make mistakes and, and it seems like this, is, the, the, this continues even in our modern culture, Right? And when someone does make a mistake, they're, they're, they're like thrown to the wolves or they're run over the bus or raked across, whatever the, the, the saying you want to throw out there is. And, and this kind of feeds into our cultural moment like right now, like where people rarely, if ever, apologize or willing to apologize or willing, people are rarely willing to admit that they make a mistake. Because for some reason in our culture right now, it's, it's seen as a sign of weakness, when public, leaders, uh, when public leaders do this, right? Oh, man, you, look what you, you said this back then and now you're saying this as if we don't have freedom to, to change our mind or to learn or to grow. But when we, imp- when we understand the impact of sin in this world, when we understand the impact of sin in each of our lives, all of us are going to make a mistake, not just once in a while, but every day. Can I get an amen? There's some freedom in that. We're going to make mistakes. And we're going to miss our fair share of important decisions. And integrity is, doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes, but integrity requires enough humility and then self-awareness to admit it when we do make a mistake and apologize and change our mind when it happens. Integrity requires humility. The second thing we learn from Paul is that integrity also requires a bold kind of wisdom, Right? Uh, wisdom. Integrity requires wisdom. Verses 6 through 10. After Paul's apology, right, he, he, he quickly kind of pivots. 
And I think I'm, I'm just imagining what's going through Paul's mind when he's standing before the Sanhedrin after his first word, he's struck across the mouth. I think Paul gauges the temperature of the room. And in that moment, he realizes he's in trouble. These people not only want him to be silenced, but he recognizes that they want him dead. And, and we're told a little bit about this group of Jewish leaders. The Sanhedrin here is, is made up of, of different Jewish sects that, that believe different things, right? Now, Paul has some options, right? He could, in this moment, to save his own skin, he could compromise his integrity, right? He could, he could lie. He could, he, could, he could deny Jesus and say, eh, right? He could compromise his integrity. He could fight, you know, like, hey, I'm going to die anyways. I'm just going to go out with a bang and, and go out in this, this, this moment of glory. But instead, he assesses the situation, and it's the Holy Spirit, I believe, that gives him this divine wisdom to find another way forward. He sees that these Pharisees and Sadducees, he knows they disagree so vehemently about the resurrection of the dead on the last day. They disagree about things like angels and spirits. And so he brings this up out into the open and says, I'm up here, my brothers. I'm a Pharisee descended from Pharisees, which is true. And I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, which is true. Of course, he's talking about Jesus even beyond just the resurrection at the last day. And this just causes an uproar in the assembly, right? He plays on the differences of these two groups. And it's a really a powerful example. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 10? Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, so be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves, right? Be wise but maintain your integrity, your innocence. In fact, just to read a little further what Jesus says, beware of men for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Sound familiar? You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. Paul is living out in this moment the very words of Jesus from Matthew 10, verse 16 through 19. Well, here's the, here's the lesson. Here's the second lesson about integrity learned from Paul here. People of integrity, people of integrity got to resist the often simple, easy, impulsive way, right? There's a way that's kind of reactionary and wisely discern with creativity a better way to overcome problems. And I believe it's the Spirit who gives us that wisdom and that creativity. Too often, too often, we're faced with something like this, where there's resistance or opposition, and too often we look for the easy, the quick, the, the reactionary path forward. Right, I'm up against it. This is hard. So, I, you know, I'll just, I'll tell a little, I'll tell a little lie, and I'll get my way. I, I'll, I'll write out that stinging retort, right, on a comment board or something. Uh, you know, I'll fight back and, I, and I'll win the argument and I'll, I'll just rhetorically destroy that person, right, in this argument. Or, or, you know what, I won't say anything, I'll just walk away, but inside I am just stewing with anger, right? These are the reactionary, simple ways forward to the problems that we face. But the problem is that so often that's not the wisest thing to do. And that's not the way that we maintain our integrity. 
In fact, it takes great wisdom. I'd say it takes great patience and a spiritual imagination to move forward, especially in conflict, especially when we're facing problems in a way that maintains our integrity. What what an important question to ask when we face challenging circumstances, to ask ourselves and to ask God, God, how do I move forward in this while not compromising my character, while not compromising my integrity? Because I think often we stop after that first question, Lord, how do I move forward? And then we justify. But how do I maintain? How do I maintain my integrity? How do I maintain my character? I think that's a powerful question that all of us should be asking ourselves and asking the Lord, particularly as increasingly we face challenging circumstances. Wisdom. Humility. Third thing we learn from Paul in this text, to live this way is not easy. To live in in a world that's increasingly becoming hostile is not easy. And to do so with integrity, to do so with humility, to do so with wisdom is challenging and it requires courage. It requires courage. And it requires a courage that, that ultimately can only come from Jesus Christ. And that's the powerful testimony we get in this passage, verse 11. Integrity requires courage. There's this fighting that breaks out, right, between Sadducees and Pharisees. And Luke tells us that the commander removes Paul because he's afraid that Paul, that Paul is literally going to be torn to pieces. And then the commander brings Paul in and throws him in his barracks, his, his jail cell, right? And then we read of, of this moment, verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near to Paul. The Lord shows up. And this is what Jesus says to Paul. He says, take courage. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And friends, this isn't the first time that Jesus has appeared to Paul, even since Damascus, the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to Paul in Acts chapter 18 when he's facing resistance and hostility. And this is what he says to Paul in a vision, Acts chapter 18, verse 9 through 10. He says this, do not be afraid, Paul. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. For I am with you. You see, Paul, throughout this journey, and the journey is going to continue, right, for a few more chapters, we've got a few more weeks. But throughout this journey, Paul is going to need this ongoing encouragement, which is literally to give courage to him from Jesus Christ as he perseveres with integrity. And that leads us to the third lesson. Living with integrity, again, it's not easy. It's often filled with, with hostility, yes, but also just temptation, And it requires continual strength and encouragement that comes from Jesus Christ. You see, too often today, living with integrity, it just gets gets too hard. It's just too hard. And, And we see others living without integrity, and they seem to be getting away with it talking to someone that I, that I know and love, real close person, I, that's as far as I'll go, but he's telling me about, about a, a coworker. 
You know, they're, they're commi- he's working commission base, and a coworker's taking shortcuts and earning quite a bit more commission. And then this buddy says, I, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, lo- I'm like, wow, that's incredible, right? Or we find, we find we're in school, right? And you're taking that test, and it's a huge final. And you know that there's this simple way that you can maybe write some answers or something, you know, and you're like, there's no way I'm going to get caught and I'll get a better grade. It's easier. Or as a parent, man, parenting's hard. If I just give in to my kids, they'll quit whining, right? I'm just tired. Integrity. There's all these opportunities to take an easy way or to maintain integrity. And let's just face it, sometimes it's just easier to stop doing the right thing and to take the shortcut. And friends, if, if you're at that point where you're just like, I'm tired and I don't know what to do and I don't, I don't know if I can keep doing this the right way, hear these words that Jesus speaks to Paul and, and let the Lord Jesus speak those words into your heart this morning. Keep going. Persevere. It's worth it. Don't grow weary in doing good. It'll pay off in the long run. And remember this promise of Jesus that I am with you always to the very end of the age. Living with integrity, we learn from Paul in just these few verses that it it requires humility, it requires wisdom, and it requires courage from the Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, why is it important? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we maintain our integrity? It's because we're witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's why it matters. And for Paul, his integrity allows his witness to continue uncompromised. Jesus' encouragement to Paul points out to Paul that he is a witness. Take courage. As you've testified, as a witness, right, about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in in Rome. You need to keep being my witness to the ends of the earth. The reason integrity is so important for Paul, but also for us today, is because without integrity, friends, without integrity, our witness, our testimony of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior goes compromised. Paul's accusers did not have a leg to stand on. When Paul testifies before Felix in chapter 24, verse 13, he says just as much. What does he say? He says, and they cannot prove to you, verse 13, they cannot prove to you that the charges they are now making against me are true. They can't prove it because he's maintained his integrity the entire way. And can we just be honest for a moment? The church of Jesus Christ, in America specifically, The biggest hindrance to the church of Jesus Christ, to our Christian witness, is Christians who lack integrity and character. Talk to someone who doesn't believe. And I I guarantee, I guess I can't guarantee, but if it's not the first thing that they say, it's probably the second. Whether it's leaders who who have fallen from grace, And that's not to to pile on leaders who've fallen from grace. Or whether it's Christians, people who claim the name of Jesus Christ, who are living with anger 
and vengeance and impatience and, and self-serving attitudes that, that just comes off in such an ugly way. When people experience Christians in this way, why in the world would they care about what we have to say about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world? And the same thing goes for, for evangelism, right? If it's like this manipulative kind of sales pitch, it can have the similar effect. Instead, we should follow the Apostle Peter's word of wisdom. In the next slide, we have 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Hear these words, dear friends. Peter writes, go to the next slide. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He writes, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Why does integrity matter? because our witness is tied to our integrity. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, right? That doesn't mean we're going to, we, we can't. We're all messed up, but that's part of living with integrity. In fact, it, to close, I just want to, I want to close with a, with a story, powerful story from uh, Pastor Tony Campola. Have you heard of him? Many of you have. Pastor Tony writes about this in a book. He shared this, uh, this story of, at many speaking engagements about a time that he had, a, he had a, an engagement, a conference in, in Honolulu. By the way, if there's a conference in Honolulu, please send your pastoral team. <laughs> We'd love to go. But Tony flies into Honolulu, and if you've been there, I, there's a huge time difference, right? So he's, he's completely jet-lagged. And so he's from the East Coast, and he gets to Honolulu, wakes up at like 1.30 in the morning, and can't sleep. And so he, he decides to just go out of the hotel and, and walk around the streets to try to find a place to eat. Not many places open. He finally finds a, a greasy spoon there and, and sits down at the counter. The place is empty and, and orders a, 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 a modest breakfast. He's talking to the, the owner there named Harry, and suddenly at around 3.30, in walks a, a loud group of, of women, about eight to nine women walk in. And he starts overhearing this conversation between these women and, and realizes pretty quickly that, that these are street workers, these are prostitutes who work on the streets of Honolulu. And he overhears some of the conversation and they're laughing and they're having a good time. And one of the things he hears from, from one of the, the ladies finds out it's her birthday tomorrow. Her name's Agnes. Says, it's my birthday tomorrow. Like, what are you going to do on your birthday? You're going to have a party? And Agnes says, I've never had a birthday party in my life. Why start now? And they all kind of start laughing. They finish their breakfast and leave and Tony, Pastor Tony, talks to Harry and says, that, those ladies, do they, are they going to be in tomorrow? And Harry says, yep. He says, they, they're in every night at 3.30, same time. He says to Harry, do you want to throw Agnes a birthday party? And Tony says, don't worry, I'll take care of it all. I'll bring the decorations tomorrow night. I'll get a birthday cake. I'll take care of all of it. All I need for you is to allow us to host it right here at 3.30. He says, okay. 
next day, Tony comes back with all these, you know, cheap party decorations, and he comes carrying a cake, and the diner is not empty this time. There's about 20 other ladies, people from the streets, because Harry had spread the word. And they get things all set up for this birthday party, and that sure enough, at 3.30, these ladies walk in, including Agnes. Happy birthday! And they start singing happy birthday and bring out this cake. Agnes is so taken aback, she just starts crying. When she settles down, Harry says to her, Agnes, she doesn't know what to do. You got to blow out the candles. She says, do you mind if, do you mind if we do something? And he said, what? She says, can I take this cake home? Because I want to remember this moment. I say, Agnes, of course you can. Of course you can. Take the cake home. And so she takes the cake and runs off to her place. And when she's gone, everyone's just standing there shocked, like, what do we do? Of course, Tony's a pastor, so what what do you think he does? He stands up and starts praying. (laughs) So he stands up in his diner and he just offers a prayer for Agnes and for those here. And then he he prays for her salvation and he prays for these people and says, amen. And then Harry comes up to him and says, hey, with a little bit of anger, you never told me you were a pastor. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? And Tony writes about this saying, it must have been the Holy Spirit because in that moment he said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then says, no, you don't. There's no church like that. Because if there was, I'd join a church like that. Why does integrity matter? Because how we live our lives will either lead people to Jesus or turn them away. Church, how do we want to live? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you've been at work through the centuries. We thank you for faithful servants who follow your example of love, reckless love. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would work in a way that you would compel us to live with integrity with a humility that is strange to the world, with a wisdom and creativity that finds new ways to testify and to live out the gospel. And Lord, we can't do this in our own strength. And so, Jesus Christ, we pray for the courage that only comes by your Spirit at work in our lives. And then, Lord, we look forward to seeing what only you can do when your spirit is powerfully at work in the hearts of your people for the benefit 
of this world you've called us to love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. And remember, donuts are this way today. <laughs> <laughs>